Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Smile, you son of a... On the side of my face. Hello and welcome to the Mighty Motion Picture Rangers. I'm Shane. And I'm Josh. And we interrupt your regular programming to bring you a very special interview with he's an award-winning filmmaker, an international horror writer, a connoisseur of cinematic obscura on Twitter, and an all-round general nice guy, Mr. Aaron Dries. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. How have you been? Uh, well, look, I'm better after that introduction. I, I can't <laughs> wait to disappoint. <laughs> Rest of the day, it's going to walk around being like, yes. <laughs> I am a De- connoisseur. Yep. Just connoisseur. change your Twitter bio. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah, just a connoisseur. It sounds so <laughs> French. I love it. <laughs> well, I always associate it with food, but yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm also good at food. I can definitely do that. Oh, definitely that's good. That's good. Un connoisseur. Well, Josh used to work in 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 the hospitality industry, yeah. and yeah. I once researched it for a script. So I, I, it's the same right. thing, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I um I I used to work in uh, industrial kitchens in nursing homes. Oh wow! So oh, that's very specific. Really, yeah, yeah, um, I'm really good at wet dishes, <laughs> or, or maybe drying, flavorless. <laughs> yeah, drying out wet dishes. Here's your bowl yeah. of slime. Here you go. Pretty much, or like, uh, you know, putting all of these bowls through the big dishwasher and kind of like letting all of the gross soup settle away and realising that there's like a a set of false teeth at the bottom of the bowl. Or um, I remember one time uh, pulling out a bunch of dishes and there was a glass eyeball uh, in in somebody's mug. In a coffee mug? In a coffee mug. Had they like like sneezed and it just fell out and in and they didn't (laughs) notice? Um, look, I feel as though I can talk about horrific stuff with you guys, considering <laughs> the stuff that I, but I, I just think at some point your body just gives up and it's like, it's, it's like, let's go just, of it. just let's go, you know, kind yeah. of like an, yeah. an, an eyeball prolapse you know, into, <laughs> into, into, oh into your mugs. Anyway, so let's, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that I see, I see that's how we, you get your inspiration for your particularly gruesome moments in your book. In books, yeah. not the books. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've read. So Aaron's. Oh, well, you give us the spiel on you, and you, you give the books your little, the, your little okay. author bio blurb. My little author bio. Well, look, I've um I've released a, a few books. Uh, the first one was called House of Size, followed by The Fallen Boys, uh, and then uh, A Place for Sinners, and then I co-wrote a novel uh, called Where the Dead Go to Die with an author named Mark Allen Gunnels. And in between there, I've done a bunch of short stories and some novellas um, yeah. and always just working on something. Right. Very right. Nice. And, and you've started, I've heard you on some, a couple of other podcasts talking about you 
doing working on some film stuff. It's all very hush hush, but that's going to be exciting. <laughs> I love, I love. Uh, you know, you sound more professional if you tell them like you can't talk about it. Uh, you know <laughs> that everything is hush hush. Uh, but yeah, yeah, been working on some stuff, which is great. Um, and certainly, uh, it, look, I started. I came out of university and and out of high school and basically out of adolescence, ready to just go movies. Movies was where I was mm-hmm. at. It's where my huge passion is. Um, and I kind of stepped away from it for a number of years and kind of just did a bit of a career change. But around about that time, I started writing and that kind of satisfied that itch. I get to be the writer, the director, the casting agent. I can do the music. <laughs> I can do it all. You want to talk about inflated egos, writing a book. <laughs> um, but over the past couple of years, I've really felt that um, the, the beckon back to the cinema. So we'll see. We'll, it's not real until it's real. <laughs> until you're sitting and in the cinema spots. watching it even yeah. and even I'm, then all VOD. And even then yeah exactly i'm thinking yeah. vod directed you know for 19 dollars and 95 cents on opening day <laughs> making a mozza hang on talk yourself out 24.99 <laughs> thank you thank you yeah. i'm such a i'm such a tight ass i'm like oh I'll wait until it drops <laughs> um, you know, but I did. I did pay to see uh, the Invisible Man at home, even though I'd already seen it at the cinema because I just really yeah. enjoyed it so much, and I wanted to see it again. I wanted that so, money to go to leave. And I, so much good. Did, did you guys like it? I loved, I loved it. it. I adored it. I was so. I was talking with this about a friend the other day, and I just like the second that movie starts. It's 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 like it's title the Invisible Man, and then it's all these shots with a lot of negative space, and I'm like, fuck you! I'm now looking at that negative space the entire duration of this film, waiting for something to happen, waiting for someone to be there, something to go awry, and just oh, it, it was so it was perfect in like that way that makes me really angry that mm-hmm. I didn't think of it first. And then listening yeah. to Lee as well when he's like, oh, I know Adrian's in every single one of these. 98% of these scenes, I'm just like, fuck you, man. Yeah, I know. Oh, good. We're, we're allowed to swear on this podcast because I agree. Oh, fuck yeah, you, Talented <laughs> bastard. You beautiful right. bitch. Right. <laughs> right. It's not fair. Oh, I, I haven't screamed out loud in, at the cinema in a long, long, long time. But I literally, it wasn't even a scream. It was like a, it was like a fully formed, uncanny sentence of of shock the, yeah. you know the um, the restaurant the, scene the restaurant scene oh, yeah the yep, restaurant yep, scene. Yep. i literally the... just i almost stood up in the middle of the center and went <laughs> oh my dear god yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i saw that my partner is usually he's quite reserved he doesn't have like a he doesn't react big to movies whereas i'm the polar opposite i'll be screaming about it the second the thing finishes but even in that scene jaw to the floor he like gasped it was like a it was one of those preview screenings so the whole audience just reacted in unison to mm. that moment uh, it was perfection like, i knew my, my partner even when she's like getting to run away and she kicks the dog bowl my partner dug into my hand and like <laughs> turned it purple i was like Ugh. i i was a mess and look i saw with my this is a this is such a nice movie to take partners it to is a yes what a, what a big endorsement uh, for, for, mr. <laughs> for mr lee um yeah look i took my partner and he's a what i've always referred to as a mortal did never was really into horror films and i have made it my mission to just <laughs> change him completely and to indoctrinate yeah. him into the fold uh he was blown away by the by the invisible man and got a scream out of him which made me so happy <laughs> so, so <laughs> uh, yeah it, look i can, we can wax about that film until the cows come home i have no doubt i'm just really it was so great that um my 
with 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 the pandemic all happening that that really last bright shining moment in the cinema for me was seeing that and yeah, I'm holding on to those memories to get me through this like there's been a couple of little things and I tried to get in uh, in those flickering moments that the cinemas have been open since but look really it's that yeah well i i my yeah. first thing back was uh with josh we went and saw they did um the conjuring one and the conjuring two at a drive-in back to back it was glorious it was yeah. so fun it was freezing cold because it's you know middle of winter people were smoking next to us so yeah like, ah. it, was, it was it was it was hard going but it was like oh i'm back it's home it's good <laughs> to be home I, uh, I grew up near a drive-in and I used to go all the time. I grew up in the Hunter Valley. And, um, yeah, I remember my favourite moment going to the uh, going to the drive-in. I went with my brothers and my dad and we went and we saw Scream. Uh, and this is like when it was oh originally... God. When oh. it was originally released, and we had no idea, and I was young, and my brothers were way too young <laughs> to see this movie, and I just remember the, the absolute terror that was coursing through me watching that movie, and then halfway through, <laughs> like hearing cows in fields <laughs> around me, <laughs> it's just so incredibly bizarre. But um, whereabouts was the drive-in? Where, uh, Yatla. You... Yatla Drive-in, just off it's the Gold of, Coast, yeah, halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, kind of way. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting that you are all up that way, which explains why you're wearing t-shirts and not you're not yes. rugged up like. Yeah. A... Even though it's been freezing cold, still here. Yeah. It's cold, but it's like a Queensland cold. Mm. Oh, Queensland cold. That's a good memoir title. Just jot that one down. <laughs> <laughs> I um I grew up in in Launceston in Tassie, so like yep. I know freezing cold, but I've been here so long, I've acclimatized, and I'm now like, oh, it's it's 19 degrees. This is freezing, and <laughs> you know. Oh look, I'm a Canberra boy. I'm I'm I look, I'm also you know, for people who cannot see my face right now, I am very pale, kind of ginger haired. I'm okay with the cold. You know, I spontaneously <laughs> combust at any point. And look, we can talk about Toby Hooper's spontaneous combustion at any point as well, okay? So just Haven't seen open that door. <laughs> oh, I'm a big Toby Hooper fan. I, I, uh, I We are too, yeah. I, I love uh Texas Chainsaw is like my all time favorite horror film and i didn't expect it to be because i normally like uh, i i don't respond as often to sort of the uh less plot more sort of stuff going on it's just a, a weird thing but that movie was so visceral and everything like that and and that's why i like when i read because i've read um i've read fallen boys and house of size of yours and i read house of size and like this is the australian texas chainsaw <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> my my affinity for toby hooper probably is evident in my writing i the thing that i love about toby hooper is that you're quite right he's definitely I just love the sensory overload that he will yes. yeah, yeah. shamelessly pile on you. He's like, do you know what? We don't need to make sense today. I'm just <laughs> going to assault your senses. I'm going to rip out your veins and play them like a harp and <laughs> just pile atmosphere on top of atmosphere and ugliness on top of ugliness. And then at the end of it, even when it's really, really, really bad, it's still really beautiful. And What are your thoughts on um, Eaten Alive? It's so. Uh, I need to have a shower after it. Like, uh, it's, <laughs> and I love how artificial it looks. It's so yeah. obviously boxy, and it's. Uh, I'm, I'm watching Eaten Alive. I'm reminded of that sequence from. Um, uh, oh my god, Edward! Where Edward, it, you know, the, the Tim Burton film where Edward is directing yeah. the actor, and he walks through the set and clips his shoulder on the way through. And he's like, "It's fine, cut next." I can just or when he kicks of... off, kicks up like the lawn, he's like, "No, do we need to retake it?" No, no, it's all good. <laughs> no, no, it's all. That was a very good Johnny Depp impersonation, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, 
it just eaten alive reminds me a little bit of that in terms of its flimsiness and the, the, like the smoke machine and the, the lights and then you've got everything is just ramped up to 12 it's not a pleasant viewing experience no no <laughs> <laughs> i had a weird reaction watching it for the first time because i i'd only seen texas chainsaw which is so visceral and so uh lean and then this movie had just it was like it almost felt like all the deleted scenes from some other movie piled together to make its own thing. But there was like a little, uh, Toby Hooper gave like an intro at the start of the th- thing. And he's like, uh, you know what's, uh, you know, this is eaten live and, uh, I hope you like the colors. <laughs> and then the movie starts and it's just like red, red, red. <laughs> Look, you know, I, I just, the way I kind of think of it is that, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the great night out and eaten alive is the Saturday morning greasy hangover food. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both are sweaty. You're both sweaty all the time. Oh, uh, summer, summer hangover sweats is what eating alive feels like to me. <laughs> right, right. So uh, what was your sort of history with the horror genre? Like, did it start with books or films or? It would have definitely started with movies. And I, I remember, I think if I was just trace it back to earliest horror movie memories it would definitely be salem's lot toby hooper's salem's lot um which would have been the european cut it would have been the miniseries condensed down to like 107 minutes that you could get it like at any video store anywhere um and i remember that was my grandfather's favorite film and he showed it to me and i was absolutely terrified so toby's been there since the beginning and then off the back of that i do remember my other grandfather showing me child's play and my (laughs) grandmother yelling at him for doing so because i had terrible terrible nightmares uh about chucky for years and years and then so around about that time i i was a little bit late to reading but i i I jumped in as a definite rl stein kid uh and i went straight from rl stein yeah well done um i went straight from rl stein all the way up to stephen king and then from there there was no looking back um but uh, yeah it was in it was in there and i remember vividly like the friends of my parents who would bring their kids over to like a place and things like that. And I would always be like putting on horror movies. They were like, it'll be fine. They grow out of it. And everyone else did, but we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I made a kid cry showing him a horror movie once. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. (laughs) What movie was it? What movie? I honestly can't remember. I was just too young, but I know I was in like the first grade and I just made another kid cry by showing him a movie. I'm just like, Oh, shouldn't have done that. Oh, that is so mean, but also so perfect. Hopefully yeah, they was, remember it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like quite late to the horror genre because I like, uh, long story short, I grew up in a cult, got out when I was like eight, but it was like one of those, if you watch a bad movie, Satan will possess mm. you kind of things. So I have like, I still feel like I'm like catching up because there's so much I didn't watch until like literally the last like five to 10 years. Like I didn't see The Exorcist until recently. I, the Texas Chainsaw was like four years ago for me. Well, what did but, you think of The Exorcist, especially coming out of a cult? <laughs> I, well, I think, I think it's colored by that because part of my... Uh, the weird thing with horror for me is that so much of horror has this uh, 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 not sycophantic, that's not the right word, uh, this relationship with like Catholic ideology as being the thing that solves the problem. And I don't like that. I love the mythology, like just maybe like from an anthropological standpoint, I love the mythology of the Catholic church and the demons and all that kind of thing and how it's branched out. But you know, even in the Conjuring movies, which I adore, I can't get past that. It's like your faith in God is what saves you, and I'm like, no, 
people are the real monsters. <laughs> well, that's that's the great thing uh, about Salem's Lot is that there's a point where they uh, kind of all gear up and they've got their crosses and everything. And they're like, yes, the power of Christ. And the, the vampire just looks at it and goes, I have no faith in you and just crushes those crucifixes <laughs> and tosses them okay. aside. I have um, yet to see Salem's Lot, so I need it's to good. add that. It's good. Um, it, it, yeah, definitely probably doesn't hold up as spectacularly well as many other things, but it's, um, it's certainly dripping in atmosphere. It's got an amazing score. Um, and there is a, I think a 2007 remake starring Rob Lowe, if you're feeling, which was all shot in Melbourne, uh, Melbourne substituting <laughs> in for Maine. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing uh, with, with Donald Sutherland deciding, do you know what? Subtlety isn't for me today. Uh, and just chewing up the scenery like a madman. Um, but yeah, with the exorcist, yeah, well, look, William Peter Blatty, he was a Jesuit priest. Well, he was trained to be mm. a Jesuit priest and in his, it is very much, and he's very, very open about it. It's like, if I show evil at its most abusive, it will drive people towards the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he well, was quite open did. about it. The, the movie, movie definitely does. Um, but see, I, I was so I was like overall disappointed with the movie, and then I so I went to the book to see if there was something I hadn't missed, and I liked the book. The first half's pretty like identical, but the second half, like the fact that the exorcism in the book is like a week long, mm. um, and yet it's like an overnight affair in the movie. I was just like, oh, these things are coloring it, making it much more interesting to me. So I've totally always threatened threatened remaking The Exorcist in my head. I know that would make me the pariah of literally everyone in the world, but uh, you know. Look, uh, look. If you need to, if you do do it, and you need to lick your wounds with somebody, talk to Gus Van Sant. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, I still, or I Gus. have that sitting on my shelf, and I haven't watched it because I'm really worried because I adore Psycho, like the Hitchcock Psycho. Look, it is, it is literally like. You can totally watch it because you you you're an intelligent uh, intelligent person. You just kind of build up a barrier, which kind of says that this is something yeah. that I would find in a in an overpriced, slightly pretentious art gallery, <laughs> and it is not a film at all. It is a large experiment, and it is incredibly queer coded um, in ways that are subtle and ways that are really really not. And it, I, I I kind of a little bit love the Psycho remake. Just <laughs> the film student in me is fascinated by it. I love that, and it's just full of choices you know what I mean like Julianne Moore it's like you know what I think I'm gonna play this as a lesbian but not mention it and I'm just gonna pull up every every stereotype that I could think of um and I and it's the color is so like that um Florida pop color scheme from something like To Die For so it's very Gus Van Sant and then it's it says it's a shot by shot remake but there are at least little moments where you're like Gus, what are you doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it's, I just find it endlessly fascinating, but you will hate it. You will right. hate it. <laughs> right. I always, in- I, I did find like uh, the the filmmaker in me would be like, well, if someone's going to give you the money to literally learn how Hitchcock made a movie, that would be a really great film education, yeah. you know? Totally, totally. And, you know, and um, the, look, it's, I love hearing Gus Van Sant talk about it. He's like, how did you get this movie made? And he's like, well, Goodwill Hunting made a shitload of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. Yeah. yeah. But we digress. <laughs> we yeah, we do. Um, just talk more about like, your writing. Um, what is like some of your normal writing routines as well? Like, how do you like get the day to day or like whenever you're in the mode? Well, look, like a lot of authors, I've got my day job. So I write, I'm an opportunistic 
writer. I try to have yeah. no routine. Um, mm-hmm. House of Science was written when I was backpacking and mm-hmm. I was writing on borrowed laptops, on like desktops, um, on like, you know, hostel share computers. And I just had this one <laughs> almighty <laughs> beaten and broken USB stick that I was porting <laughs> all the way through Southeast Asia and through Europe. And then when the book was eventually published and I, and I kind of ripped out all of that material and assembled it and, and submitted it, they were like, this is amazing. Um, but when we're trying to format it now, it's full of like the weirdest coding, like there's Chinese coding and, and breaks and things like that. I'm like, oh, okay. So that is evident. So uh, I've kind of trained myself to be an opportunistic writer. I'm, a, I'm on my lunch break. I'm going to just jump on board and, and, and pound out some writing. Or I'll get up. I'm fresher in the mornings, you know, so I'll get up before yep. work and do some stuff. Um, uh, I try to kind of splurge out as much as I can in, in spits and spurts. And then, and that usually happens over the weekend. And I spend my weeks refining what I've written because I love editing. Um, I like right, editing cool. my own stuff. Um, a lot of writers are like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually think that the magic of writing happens in the editing, in the, in the reduction of words, in the refining of certain things. So I, I spend a lot of time with that. So when I do tend to submit my my, um, my, uh, my material places, it tends to be fairly polished by that point. Um, Very cool. Yeah, which is good, you know. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I try to think of myself as like, uh, it, I don't care where I am or what I write on. If I can't find access to my laptop or a computer or something like that, I'll write longhand. Um, and yeah, or sometimes I will text message myself spiels <laughs> and spiels and spiels of stuff. Um, and if I lose my phone, I'm. <laughs> I will be very sad. <laughs> oh, no. That is like infinitely inspiring to me. That's like really awesome to hear. Well, just, you just do it wherever you can. You know yeah. what I mean? It's uh, it, and cause we have to, I I'm certainly not in a position where I'm going to be quitting my day job. Um, mm-hmm. And if I did, I would be the worst starving artist. Cause I would be really starving <laughs> and <laughs> writers don't aren't rolling in it. Uh, so I just have just kind of trained myself to be receptive to when, whenever and wherever the moment kind of takes me, but I have to do it. And, um, and I do tend to try to write as much as I can in a week as much, even if it's just a little bit every day. Cause it, if I went to the gym, the way that I went, that I tried to approach writing, I would be buff as fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, and I'm not. So I, uh, I need to do a bit every day. Otherwise, the, the, the writing muscle gets flabby and I find the blank page incredibly intimidating. I've never got really yeah. to a point where I've had writer's block, but I kind of will open up a document and I'll go, oh, gosh, I wish somebody else could write this for me, <laughs> unfortunately. I, I always struggled with that because I, would, I, I take like a long time to ramp up to get in sort of the flow Thing where you're actually doing some solid writing um and then i would write it all and then the next day i wouldn't get that because i'm like well what am i going to do but i heard a really good tip from someone it works for me but i don't know if it works for anyone else is that where whatever you want to write like leave like the last little bit that you know like you know 100 percent what it's going to be but you don't write it down so that the next day you have that and it it tricks you into that zone really quickly because <laughs> my, my habit is like three hours of procrastination with 20 minutes of writing at the end where I do like 10 pages. That's actually really great. And if that works, <laughs> that's fantastic. You know what I mean? And I kind of like the idea of planting a seed that'll get you through the next writing session or write yourself into a corner and then spend the next three hours trying to figure it out. And that'll be tomorrow's problem. You know what I oh, mean? See, the, so, the, the writing into a corner is the thing that always does mean when I get a character locked, I'm like, ah, I can't figure it out. I, and I just, I, I spend the whole week not doing any 
like because my thing the hardest thing for me is actually getting like words to the page i'm usually got like the planning side of it and it's the it's the sitting down and doing the a to b to c to d to e that i just i fail with every time look i i do tend to not plot i tend to just kind of go out with the exception of some maybe the fallen boys which required some heavy plotting because they're i i really didn't want there to be holes in that plot um but uh i tend to just kind of go for it the thing with writing screenplays is that they demand it you know what i mean you have to be able to kind of you know show that structure and yeah you know that's you know what that's yeah. like so, oh yeah. god i i i find it um <laughs> I, I would be remiss to be talking about your writing if I didn't uh, bring up uh, something within your first two books. You have a, <laughs> a uniquely utilitarian use of corpses uh, <laughs> as opposed to, like, what I would call the, the law and order thing where, like, it's, oh, no, a dead body, and that's the dramatic beat, and then the story moves on and, and whatever. You'll have a dead body, and then it, you'll keep using it in, in more and more squeamish-inducing ways as it goes on. <laughs> Uh, where did that come from? <laughs> I've never really thought about it. And the util- utilitarian kind of aspect is going to cause me to reflect. <laughs> In a good way. Um, I don't know. I think that, um, oh gosh, I think mate, I've spent a lot of working in aged care. So when I was going through university, I was going, I I came out with a degree that was completely unrelated, but I was willing to work in a nursing home, started off in the kitchen. And then I, they were like, Aaron, come across, we'll train you up. And so I worked in palliative care. So I was around dead bodies a lot. And I, you know, so, um, and providing, and I actually really loved working in palliative care. You only have one chance to pass away. And so you want to give people as much respect and dignity as you possibly can. Um, And that uh, extends to once somebody does expire as well, when they pass on, you want to make sure that you tend to that body with respect. If it's in regards to religious customs, in regards to dignity before families come, before a coroner comes. So you might have to bathe that person, get them redressed and things like that. So maybe it comes from that as well um, in terms of just being comfortable with that. But also I kind of think that it's kind of inherently awful to kind of think that at some point this animation will cease but my meat will remain. And that is like, it's like the worst. It's like a, a concrete ghost. And I find that really unnerving and it gives me the willies. And uh, I think that that's probably where it comes from. But, um, and, and I, I do hope that I give like, in again, the law and order illusion is very interesting because you see dead bodies all the time, but you also get no real sense of who these people are. They're just this completely, you know, past the salt corpse, you know, sorry, you know, you completely superfluous rape victim. Sorry, you, we never got a chance to know you. Um, you're just this uh, kind of statistic. And I kind of hope that I give the exact same amount of dedication and commitment to these people when they're alive as I do as to when they're dead and on the yeah, side. I, I think I think I messaged you because uh, uh, the first sort of moment in in the Fallen Boys that got me is oh, is there's a, a parent crying over their dead child, and yeah. instead of just that, because that's the beat we've always seen. It's the you, we've seen it's the hugging the body and the crying, and then you go one step further, and 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 the table that they're on collapses, and then the brain slush out, and I was like, oh my god. And then you had a moment again in the House of Size where it's a parent with the dead body of their child, totally mutilated, and then, like, crows come in and start attacking the corpse while she's holding it. And it was just so... It's so visceral, but, it like, it, it, it's that kind of imagery sticks in your brain way more than just, oh, a parent crying over a body. 
Look, I think that I am always looking for that way to take something that you've read elsewhere and to twist it into something that you'll never forget. It's a it's a challenge that I set myself, and sometimes it means you need to be gross. Some, but I try to make those. <laughs> I try to make um, my gross out moments really visceral and relatable in a weird kind of way. I think of um, there's a really great moment in Deep Red, all right, the Argento film where Profondo uh, Rosso, Profondo Rosso, uh, where somebody gets like their head slammed against a um, like a mantelpiece and their teeth buckle in. Uh, uh, and I'm like, I have seen some gross stuff in the, in the cinema, right? But it's those little things yeah. that really the, the curb stomp in. Um, oh. American History X. American History X. Yeah. Or actually, in uh, speaking of Lee Winnell, in Upgrade, where the, the, the face gets ripped at the jaw. Yep. <laughs> and oh, I was like, absolutely. oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, we, um, uh, we watched uh, The Fly the other night, and there is a lot of gross stuff in that film. It's really, really grotesque. But for me, the moments when, he, when he's biting his fingernail and the fingernail comes off. So yeah. I, for, I guess what I'm looking for is, uh, but there's, a, there's an inch of... R- like uh, we can relate to that. We may not know what it feels like to turn into a fly, but we all know what it feels like to have bitten our fingernails down just that little bit too low to the cuticle. <laughs> and so I find that that um, uh, that's something that I learned from people like Cronenberg um, and from people like Argento, that in those moments of those extreme violence or in moments where, like, for example, in The Fallen Boys, with, with that, like, we've all hit our head. We've also all been sad. We've also all... Um, either been in a situation where we've grieved for somebody or certainly have been invested in a movie or a book where that scene has happened. And I just had to take it further because this isn't that story. Um, and I'm committed desperately uh, and quite passionately to making these these books, things that you will never, ever forget. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, in, um, in The Fallen Boys, like I haven't been able to get the imagery specifically of a nail being driven uh, between, like, and the top between the gums and the lip, I can't get that out of my head. So fuck you, Aaron. Yeah. But like <laughs> with, with the Fallen Boys, I distinctly remember reading the last sentence on the last page, closing the book, and just shouting your name out loud in this lounge room. I'm just like, Aaron. <laughs> that is actually so comforting. It, yeah. it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. Um, <laughs> good, good. I, I also think that a, a a book continues right up to its last sentence. You know what I mean? And and I really do try to to like if I if I'm going to give you 300 pages, I want the experience to be there from beginning to end. Which doesn't mean that I'm I'm never not going to give people a happy ending. Um, I just I also really believe that. <laughs> It does the for, for those characters in those worlds. The horror has not stopped just because the book has ended. You know what I mean? And mm. and I I need to make sure that the reader feels that way at the same time as well. It's like just because it's over doesn't mean it's done with you. Um, yeah. yeah. So you're welcome. I love, I love you. Do, <laughs> Thank you. you do a really great like final scene, yeah. especially yeah. on um no spoilers, but on, on the the very like literally the last three words of of House of Size, I was like, oh, that's that's perfect like stop it there that is just well one books <laughs> thank that is so nice of you to say look i you know how i talk about i don't plot i knew the last sentence i knew those last three words from the right. moment that i started you know right. you know jk That's rowling great. says that about about you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah we have we have opinions about uh, uh jk but um she uh <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I believe her when she says that, but I want you to believe me when I say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe it. I, I believe, believe it. It. <laughs> it was it was so good. So, have you found um, with work, like going into film stuff 
have you found like a difference between writing for film, writing for TV or any challenges to do with that? Um, yeah, look, I, I have a writing partner who actually knows what they're doing, which is fantastic when it comes to the <laughs> film stuff. Um, and, and, that, and that's the person who, option, who has optioned a, n- a number of my projects. Um, and they kind of like, Aaron, this is beautiful. You cannot write that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's about the streamlining it down. And, um, and, and also structure is something. And also um, when it comes to writing my type of stuff, when, if I was left to write, you know, what I want, my my feature length screenplay would probably look like what I imagine the screenplay to erase ahead would have looked like, which notoriously was like only twenty three pages long and, and had no chapter breaks and things like that, scene breaks. So um, I've learned a lot. Uh, television is a really interesting structure. I've never written anything episodic. I've only ever done self contained things. So I'm still learning and I'm fascinated by it. Um, but I read a lot of screenplays. So weird. It's weird, isn't it? It, it really is. Um, also, I, um, the beat, I, the beats have changed. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, I was just going to say, like, I've only ever written pilots, and I try, I tried like once to try and write. You know, they tell you have a spec of an existing show, and I got really frustrated and anxious because all the shows I liked would either get cancelled or they would finish, and then my script would be outdated for the plot. And I was like, I can't keep up with television right now. <laughs> so I've it's only ever written pilots. Too much. And it's just weird. Good, good. We'll keep writing pilots. <laughs> I, I have a, a very strong affinity for 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 shows that. Um, only last one season <laughs> that, yeah. that, that end on awful cliffhangers. Um, and yeah, are there particular TV writers that you admire in t- whose, whose work you go, oh yeah, or, um, or who you have, you hold up as they've, they've done that well and they have shaped you over the years the, for, for both of you. Perhaps. For me, uh, Aaron Sorkin was the first one where I was like, I love this. Mm. It's obviously now like the wanky answer to say it's the dude bro answer, but like I've just started watching The West Wing for the first time because my first Aaron Sorkin was uh, The Newsroom. Uh, And then I started watching uh, The West Wing and I'm like, oh, I love this. I just love this. I love really far. Like one of my all-time favorite movies is His Girl Friday. The, the the speed of the dialogue is like that's because that's about the speed at which I think and I, I time myself speaking because I have to do a pitch at the moment I'm like oh I speak at nearly 200 words a minute so that's fun <laughs> you know I can get a lot more in there but then whether or not people understand it but um recently the uh the Robert and Michelle King who are the showrunners of The Good Wife and then they've done uh you would like have you seen Brain Dead? Uh, the movie? No, no, no. Is it's it a, a TV show? show. Yeah. Oh no, I haven't. I haven't. Do you have Stan? Yes, I do. It's a one season show, but it ends perfectly. It doesn't end on a cliffhanger. Put, I, I guarantee you, that's that's up your alley. It's it's a very, uh, it's a show about the current moment in the most invasion of the body snatchers kind of way. It's their first kind of time dipping into genre fare. And then they've gone and done... Evil, did, isn't it? Sorry? Isn't it called Evil? There's a show. Oh, yeah. Thing? So they've got a yeah. new show coming out called... E- it's out in most places called Evil, which is sort of like an X-Files-esque thing, but it's people investigating uh, cath- like uh, either miracles or demonic possession to kind of... They sort of go in there before the priests go in there because if the priests go in there and it's not right, it can be like a PR nightmare. So they go in there to affirm and then they get the Catholic Church in. And it's it's dark and 
very you're watching it i'm like this is a network tv show how are they getting away with any of this mm-hmm. but they're they're there's the smartest writing on television is the good wife and then the good fight uh even more so uh and, and it's so hard to pitch people the good wife because they hear that title and they either think it's like a cheeky flicky show or women will hear that and they'll be like oh it's got the word wife in it this is going to be boring and domestic mm. and it's none of those things it's this really really surrealist it's almost the successor to Twin Peaks in terms of the weird levels of surrealism they go to. But if you want a taste of what they do, uh, Brain Dead on Stand, one season, like 13 episodes, a complete story, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Aaron Tveit, uh Tony Shalhoub, and it's perfect. It's really wonderful. I actually wish they got to do more of that show because they, they sort of wrote a letter to fans telling you where they were going where they were going to go after the show sort of go. And I was like, oh, this is this would have been a masterpiece, but it didn't hit the ratings. Sold. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> that um, sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for me, I'd say Gillian Flynn, who's like obviously author of Gone Girl, she, the way she's transitioned to film and television is just simply astounding. Like, have you seen Sharp ha- Objects? I have seen oh. Sharp Objects, but I haven't seen... Is Widows? She wrote Widows, yeah, right? Yeah, oh, she wrote Widows. So yeah. good. I yeah. haven't seen it. I really, really want to. I'm really fascinated to see what she's doing with that material as well. But she's fantastic. Yeah, she's amazing. And she's doing another Amazon show now, which I think is more genre-based. It's like getting into science fiction, maybe. So I'm keen to see her tackle oh, that. that. That's awesome. And, and, you know, the thing that's really great about her is that, um, like, I hadn't read Gone Girl, but I saw the movie and then I went back and I read the book mm. and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And I read Sharp Objects before I saw the, before I saw the film. And, and that is horror. You know what I mean? Like, it really yeah. is yeah. full on, you know, and I, she's great. <laughs> big yeah. fan. Big, big and she fan. wrote she wrote something for Stephen King as well. And apparently they're like besties or something or like really close. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> How great is that? Can you imagine just, those two DMing each other just going, hey, <laughs> what do you reckon? Hey, what's up? <laughs> Do you, you see this J.K. Rowling woman? What is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Talk about heartbreak. Jeez. Oh, that just yeah. those books were like huge to my childhood, and it was like yep. oh, I'm now like, but I, I I am saved in that I had like various fantasy authors that I read before her that were sort of my my ground laid the groundwork. So I just gone back to them and then I'm, I'm reading the Percy Jackson books, trying to find sort of that mm-hmm. new thing. And you know, it'll, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you were investing in fantasy series, but only if they were initially adapted by Chris Columbus. I like that. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a niche, such a yeah. niche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so back to writing, I was going to say, uh, do you have any like do's and don'ts for mm. writing in genre? Um, well, look, I've got, I've got my own personal rules. Um, and there are things that I would and don't do, but they're more writing like Grammarly type things. than I, then <laughs> I think of in terms of within the genre, within the genre, I think I'm not in, I'm not completely and utterly interested in, and it's just about taste. I'm not completely into extreme horror. I'm very, very, very much into character-based stuff. Uh, and, and I think that character does have to come first. Voice is incredibly important. I think as you, having having a uh, no sense of place and, and of a time and making that specific is a little bit like eating in the dark. Yeah, it tastes fine, but I'm not getting the whole thing. I, I find that that's really, really important to me. Um, so choosing a location... Uh, whether and and dedicating myself to a country especially because i do kind of factor that in in terms of making sure that that's 
a thing you know what I mean um that's really important to me and then I've got like all these little grammar rules that I'm like you know cut back on your adverbs uh I read Stephen King's on writing like over and over again the road to hell is paved with adverbs (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) um when I'm bored um or if I need to kind of g myself up on the on the writing front uh, I just love jumping on YouTube and listening to interviews by authors that I like and the more nerdy and technical they are the more I'm inspired to just kind of get in there and it's like yes So no, like, I hate, there's nothing I hate more than you get like someone like Steven Spielberg. And the question is, if you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? And I'm like, yeah. ask him like why he did the trombone, sh- you know, like all, yeah. all these No one things. cares about like the tech behind yeah. or like the passion behind yeah. the film. Yeah. I, I look, I, I don't want to hear about, you know, that I want to hear about <laughs> all of the choices that were behind 1941. Okay. That's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. Um, oh, yes. you, you know, so look, uh, I, and I guess also in terms of writing genre, don't flinch, don't be afraid to go f- too far. Um, uh, and also write to your own insecurities. Um, uh, all of my books come from a complete personal experience and really personal places. And also they're all picking scabs of things that I continuously am haunted by, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's stuff that's happened to me or to people that I know or things that really, really piss me off. Um, <laughs> I think generally speaking, when it comes to me as somebody that you would see on Twitter or have a beer with, you know, or just hanging out, I'm fairly, I'm fairly chilled. I'm really quite chilled and happy and positive. And I think I just put all of my aggression that I normally have about the world into my fiction. <laughs> and, and again, the, that you that utilitarian kind of like you know factory line of people who have been mutilated probably is the result <laughs> i um i i had a thing because i was the first feature film that i was going to do it was sort of this uh like sister act-esque but it was like a rom-com set at christmas and it was a musical and everything like that and i spent a bunch of time and a bunch of money and then i got like fucked over stabbed in the back by like all my producers so i lost a ton of money a ton of thing and it sort of ruined me and then my follow-up that ended up being my first feature film was about a bunch of awful, awful people and they metaphorically uh, cannibalise each other, like, in the confines of sort of... It's, like, set during the opening night of a, a, a really terrible production of Hamlet and so the director's a dick and the actors <laughs> of egos and they just... Like, there's a there's a body count to this theatre production that mimics the body count in Hamlet. <laughs> But also, you were pissed. <laughs> you yeah. were totally pissed yeah. off. Yeah, and, I, was, and I was. It's perfect. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's perfect. That's what it's about. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah. There's a I there's find, a really. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say I find catharsis in both watching stuff and and writing it in in a way that I don't get anywhere else. I don't do therapy. I just write. Yeah. <laughs> I completely uh, uh, prescribe to that. I I have a, a work in progress that is done and I'm shopping it around and there is a character in it that I'm like, do you know what? I'm beyond faking that this is not about this person. they will never read it. And <laughs> it, it was an ex-boss. <laughs> Oh, right. they're, they're that was when I was living overseas. They they don't care and they know that they're an asshole and don't be surprised about what happens to that particular character. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, just, and here's the thing: there is a really great author who um, was very very important to me in terms of me finding my voice, which is a, a an author named Jack Ketchum, and he has a line that I kind of I, I absolutely if, if I was ever going to get a tattoo, it would be that. Which is he he just his one piece of writing advice was write from the wound. And I completely agree with that. And that's what I do as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, So I was going to say, on on some other podcasts, you've sort of previously mentioned how, like, 
um, you refrain from bringing in queer, like your own personal sort of experiences of being queer, into your stories for a little for for a while. And I related that to a bit partly because I had like I, I I didn't come out until I was like twenty four, twenty five, and so and that was around when I was doing my first feature film. And my first feature film was the first thing I'd done with gay characters in it and doing all that kind of thing. And what I found is that the the more I dug into that and did queer specific stories, the the better I got at recognizing like my voice. And then when I went out to write non-stories, it, it vastly improved the way I was writing there. And I was just wondering if you sort of experienced something similar or, or you could talk on that for a bit. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, look, so all of my books are queer, um, even when they're not filled with queer characters. Um, House of Size, I, start, I kind of came out of the gate uh, and I wanted to write a novel about homophobia and about hatred and bigotry and, and about misogyny. And uh, it starts off as a bit, it's a bit of a hoodwink. You know, we talk about, um, we talk about the MacGuffin, right? Well, House of Size is constructed as a MacGuffin. And really the bus isn't just there to get you to the House of Size. It's also to get you to the gay, the gay core of that, of that book, right? And, um, and, but here's the thing is that I was quite young when that book was first published. I would have been like 20 five or 26 and um i got really really awful feedback <laughs> from people that i'd never heard of before um uh, about from 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 readers who were like do you know what fuck you um i didn't sign up for this you know uh. i i liked this story up until it became that um and i got a lot mm. of um really homophobic hate mail and it gave oh, me the willies it, it gave me, it really kind of punched a hole in my, in my self-confidence uh, for a while. And so quite quickly off the back of that, I wrote The Fallen Boys, which I think in, in the same way that you look at a movie like, um, <laughs> like um, anything directed by Clive Barker, right? You go, <laughs> that guy definitely likes the dick you know what i mean and <laughs> and, and i think that there's very similar um, uh, kind of there is very much a gay vibe through that book, even though it's not a, a, even it's not like that at all. Um, I got that I, yeah. when reading it. I got yeah. that when reading it. I think I think you pick up on it. It's, it's kind of um, it's kind of natural, but it's also the way I see the world. It's the way I see bodies. It's it's mm. probably the way that I see light. You know what I mean? Like I, I it, I'm not defined by my sexuality, but it is the glasses that I have no no choice but to wear in order to see the world. I, I have a friend who said he had a really great thing. Uh, it's uh, you're not defined by your sexuality; you're refined by it. And yeah, I thought that was wonderful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so I think it's there. Um, a, a place for a place for Simmons has a, a gay character in it, and it was really great. I got to write like a gay sex scene. That was like I'd never done that before. And I remember giving it to a beta reader, like you know, and um, they were like, "This is great. A little bit hot." But also, maybe you, maybe you don't need to be this explicit. I'm like, do you know what? You're right. So I dialed it back a tiny little bit. Um, but um, my confidence around that stuff has changed over time. I'm at a point now where I'm really interested in telling queer stories. And Ditto. not, be- yeah, you know what I mean? Like I'm, um, I'm, I'm a bit older. And I've also, I've been around the block a couple of times. The publishing industry can be cruel and merciless as we know film can be. And um, I'm, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, do you know what? Fuck it. Um, and I don't feel like at any point that I was holding anything back. Um, I just chose those stories in certain different types of ways. But um, I'm, I'm, I, and then, you know, I, I co-wrote, uh, where the Dead Go to Die with Mark Allen Gunnels, and he's gay as well. And that book is 
full of queer characters and it's also got that similar kind of view of the world and it's very very political novel like you know you kind of look at the pandemic now and like yeah yeah this is kind of what we're dealing with um and it's ultimately about aids and about infection because i remember my you want to talk about my first kind of like childhood fears and things like that my, my people were afraid of the boogeyman under the bed i was afraid of contagion because i remember um, I remember the only things that I could learn when I was really, really young about homosexuality were things that I had got through media, through through newspaper articles, and so it, I equated it with huge anxieties. And and I think that that's kind mm. of purged out in where the dead the, go to die. The Grim Reaper ads and oh, they haunt me. I've never ever ever forgotten. And I think that that stuff is really dangerous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I remember growing up and hearing, oh, you can catch AIDS off of a toilet seat. And as an adult who's looked at you, like, what the fuck is, what the fuck were people smoking back then? Yeah, I know. And look, I won't, I can't go into too much about um, the House of Size screenplay that's kind of been adapted, but I'll tell you one thing, which is that there there is a moment where somebody gets blood on their hands and then they kind of realize that this is gay blood. and, And the way they react to it, says exactly what the the movie is about before it kind of right. gets there. So um right. and when you think when you think about the time frame in which that story is set because I wanted it house of size to be set specifically before Port part um uh, Port Arthur and also at that time because it's something that uh that time frame I relate to in terms of my own sexual identity and that's where my tensions around that were most evident probably. Um, but look, hey, look, I'm, I'm now kind of at a point where I don't exclusively want to feel as though I need to be um, kind of pinned into a corner when it comes to what I want to write about. But I'm at a point right now where my current three projects are all very just um, they they reflect the gay experience. Yes. Yeah, well, love it. Can't <laughs> and, wait. Yeah, in saying that, like in talking about queer horror, like how would you how would you define the queer horror? Oh, God. Um, do you know what? Uh I, I'm, I'm most fascinated by it when it's most veiled, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I grew up, I grew up watching, like you know, loathe am I to bring it up again, but truly, and this is not a unique <laughs> thing, but like, I am that. I was that kid who saw, you know, Freddy Part Two and was like, whoa, yep. there is. Yep. There is um, some motion in the ocean. You know what I mean? It's uh, <laughs> yep. that, uh, and and I think that um, it's shone not necessarily the most productive, but maybe shone most awkwardly and brightly um, when it was, in, there were imposed restraints and, and, and I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. for queer coding, but ne- but I, I responded to it very, very strongly when I was younger. And also I would look for it and the hunt in the same way that I used to hunt down movies, as opposed to being able to access them straight away. Right. I, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of missed the hunt and of somebody saying, I'm going to tell you this story, but it's really about this. Um, and there was some sort of secret camaraderie around that. I found that fascinating. And I, and I kind of always vibed with that, but in terms of what is queer horror, I guess. Um, I think I actually really don't know. I don't think I'm quite there yet in being able to identify mm. it. What do you both think? Well, I'm very fresh for it because, like, I only came out um, of, like, a, almost like a year or two ago now when I met my partner as, like, as bi. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still on, like, sort of the discovery of queer horror and, like, sort of my perspective on that and, like, sort of how it's changed since when I was younger and when I was more closeted. 
but Shane, how about you? Uh, oh, I was going to say, I, I, I introduced him to Night of the Hunter. Yes. Yeah. Which <sighs> they, Hunter. they played that on a cinema up here, and we were like, yeah. yes. Oh, and cinemas. I'm watching it. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> um, for me, it's been, it's sort of, because I was late to horror, as, like to horror as a genre mm. as well. And so the two things have like collided with sort of me exploring that. And so like I've done a short film that's, doing the festival rounds that I call it a queer horror, but I was sort of looking at it. I'm like, well, there's no blood. There's not, it's, it's not horror in the rah kind of sense of it. But to me, it's, it's, it's all about like relationship anxieties. Cause I, I, I've started writing it as I got into a very uh, tumultuous, uh, dramatic relationship. And then, uh, so I was halfway through writing it when I got into that relationship and then I got out of that relationship while I was halfway through cutting. (laughs) So that (laughs) film is like really tainted with, and that was my first ever relationship um so that was sort of tainted with all of that but i i'm with you in that like i have this thing where i'm i understand the need for the subtextual thing stuff like uh uh i was about to say drop dead diva no uh death becomes her and and things like that but i'm sort of at that point where i'm like i want textual stuff even Mm. if i don't like love the movie or if it's not my kind of thing i'd prefer you know i liked uh, Midnight Kiss, if you've seen that one, and so yep. I, I prefer the textual stuff now because it's once we get there, then there's this whole other aspects to explore, and we haven't sort of really started doing. It. I love what they're doing in America, people like Michael Verratti and and all that. I love what they're doing, and I'm like, I want to be there doing that instead. I'm here in, in nowhere, <laughs> Queensland, and hey, Queensland is the LA of Australia. If it, if it's temperature wise, if nothing else, what Michael is doing <laughs> is fascinating. Um, I, I just don't I just don't think we're there yet. Like I'm no, ready for no. it, but mm. we're we're not getting that content yet. Um, and I, but I think that comes with finally the gatekeepers starting to fade away. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's part of it, and and I don't want to see voices be crushed in order to make way for new voices. I want people to say it's okay for that to happen. Um, yeah. And I don't think we're there yet, but I think it's coming. And um, I, I wrote, but also it's in that, inv- I don't want to be invited to the table. I want to ha- earn my seat there. And I kind of, and when I, but when I'm there, I do want to tell r- really relatable stuff. I wrote a, right. a sequel novella to House of Size called um, The Sound of His Bones Breaking, which was, I totally get what you're saying, Shane, in terms of like, that was my breakup book. You know what I mean? I, I had, <laughs> I went through a terrifically awful, <laughs> really bad breakup. And I needed to purge that out of my system. And I did and was writing as therapy, but it was also unsurprisingly the gayest thing that I've written so far, you know, and not, and it was just that it was just, um, I, it would have been disingenuous of me to try to put it to impose the way I was feeling into a story that wasn't inherently about two men who, who yeah. could not keep um, the drift from happening yeah. mm. you know so it's I it's, that. it's that kind of thing I, I i sort of said it a couple of times like i'm i'm kind of a bit sick of being subtext and i want to be actual text you know yeah. just to, to move uh, through that i totally get that i a thousand percent get that it is it is our time to to start telling these stories but do you know what it, it's coming it, i think it really is coming well, I'm trying. I'm trying. I was super inspired by uh, Get Out. I, not even Get Out the movie. I watched the trailer for Get Out, and I'm like, oh, oh, you can just do the thing. You don't have to like make it a metaphor. You can just do the thing. So I then sort of started concocting, and I'm still writing. It's the the pitch I'm working on is like a a, a horror film about conversion therapy. 
So that's mm. fun to do all of that kind of research and just like yeah. go to bed being like, oh, the world's so messed up. But it's, the world it's, is messed up. The world yeah. is messed up. You can take comfort in knowing that and just delete <laughs> your internet history afterwards. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, all, right. all right. I guess more of a tangent, but in discussing like sort of queer horror and it's like it's sort of like now our time, the horror genre is sort of sort of has like snobbery around it in terms of others. It's always it's ever like oh if it goes for an Oscar it's a thriller. Does that like kind of affect the literary world as much as film um yeah that's actually a really good point it drives me insane when people are like this is great therefore it's not horror um yeah yeah yeah, exactly that it's um you want to talk about personal voices it's it's certainly not not a queer author but i am so excited i'm like a i'm i'm waiting at my mailbox for a copy of um stephen graham jones's uh the only good indians i got that on my, I just bought it on Book Depository. I'm waiting for it. Oh, look, I, I couldn't wait for the Australian release. Um, I wanted to read this book so much. And the reason I was so excited about it is in addition to being a fan of his stuff, and I know it's reflecting his personal kind of experience, um, is that everyone's like, this is one of the best literary novels of the year. And it is impossible for you to say it's not a horror a horror book. Right, it is right. unabashedly a a horror, horror, horror novel. Um, and good luck trying to dig your way out of that. I find I find those kind of comments about not being uh, look, in, when it comes to genre, I used to always think that genre was was a construct that was for the purpose of shelving. But the more the older I get, the kind of more I think that's a kind of a naive thing that there are mm. conventions. Uh, and I think if it was a shelving convention at one point or another, it needs to be now the arrow that I'm going to drive through your heart. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, it, it's it's it is corrosive to 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 write um, stuff and have people dismiss it as something that it's not. You know. Mm. Um, and and but it's it's not it's nothing new. Uh, nearly all the great works of like I don't even know. I'm trying to think of a really good example. People still talk about The Exorcist as a thriller. You know, it's a th- and I think Blatty used to talk to, about it as a theological thriller. I'm like, dude, oh, that head twisted all the way around, not just 45 <laughs> degrees. So do you, do yeah, you like, have like a definition of of what a hor- what differentiates horror and thriller? Oh gosh. Uh, well, do you know? What, Look, I'm going to sound totally contradictory now because I'm thinking of the, the movies that have really, really, really got under my skin. Um, I'm really fascinated watching, for example, when it comes to cinema, uh, people who cut their teeth on horror telling non-horror stories and seeing how it manifests in 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 their kind of, quote-unquote, you know, Hollywood features and things like that. A really great example is, I love The Orphanage. I think The Orphanage is a beautiful film, right? Mm. I was, I'm endlessly fascinated by his, one of his later films, um, The Impossible. Yes. Uh, which, which <laughs> the, you can... Oh, the, the leg, the leg. I, I oh. cannot, I cannot oh. do limbs in wrong positions. That's yeah. just one of my, like, things I can't oh. do. And so when she wheels past, I, I, had, I nearly threw up in the cinema. <laughs> It is, uh, it is a brutal, brutal film. And there's a moment in it where I kind of go, that is what I would consider horror. And, and it's, it's kind of directed like a horror film. It's even structured a little bit like a horror film. Mm. Uh, it, it even has direct homages to horror films. There's a, a, an intense surgery slash dream sequence in, in, towards the end of that, which replicates essentially kind of the ending dream sequence from Deliverance. 
um, with a dash of carry in there where it's like screeching violins and I, I'm like, that is visceral horror filmmaking. There's a moment in it, and again, and we're talking about the relatable cuts um, where uh, Naomi Watts is just kind of popped up out of the water and she's found a son and the son looks down a, f- a couple of inches and, and the mm. camera pans down. We realise that he's looking at her breast and she hasn't even realised that her shirt is torn open and like her uh, nipple is ripped. Yeah. And I find, oh. I find, I found that a, a gorgeous metaphor for horror. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in terms of that, that was that paternal uh, real horror is forcing that kid to grow up faster than he ever, ever, ever should ever have to. Yeah. And yep. um, it is a sink or swim survival mode. And that is the work of a horror filmmaker because so much of horror is people in those ordinary people in the most incomprehensible circumstances, which is why I vibe somewhat more with horror than I do with science fiction, perhaps, you know, right. in terms of like, uh, if it's aliens trying to get into my house, um, I am going to freak out. But if it is me in outer space and I kind of signed up for the Marines, I'm less scared. So right. um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm, I, I, look, I've rattled on. I was talking about Naomi Watts' breast and I don't even remember <laughs> what the question was. Uh, about like horror versus thrill. But you, you, you yeah. sort of raise an interesting thing because talking about like people writing outside of the genre they're known for, do you have any plans to write like outside of horror or have you got stuff? That... Um, my, my writing partner keeps convincing me to try to get me to write comedy. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> if I wrote, if I tried to write comedy, it would be the most depressing comedy you have ever, um, uh, like he's that's like, like Yorgos Lanthimos has made a career out of that. So, oh, well, that's exactly right. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're totally right. And like, you know, he says to me, Aaron, tell me some of the things that you find really, really funny. And he's like, he's like, I really love Fleabag. I love this. Oh, and I'm like, those are all, all great shows. And I'm like, well, look, to be honest, the, 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 the last movie that I really was just cacking myself laughing all the way through was melancholia so like what does that say <laughs> oh god but that's interesting though because the 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 relationship between constructing a scare and constructing a laugh is like identical absolutely and i find uh i find horror most affecting when it's sad and i find comedy most effective when it's sad inherently as well um pathos yeah. is because they're, they're both about pathos you know what i mean and yep. that's why they are uh, both sides of the of the same coin which is funny because if in terms of like the spectrum of horror that i love to watch horror comedies are probably a little bit lower but that's just a matter of taste um i i kind of like one or the other um i like melancholy in my in my stuff that i love you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. uh, i think that's kind of where i'm going with that <laughs> oh cool cool yeah i feel like melancholy and comedy are bred from humane moments as well so it's all like ties into what horror is and what comedy is that's great absolutely that's awesome. absolutely yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I think there is a kind of point, and, you know, 2020 is the time to realise this, which is that things aren't going to get better for a while. So if you can have a laugh, even if it's that kind of desperate, thinly veiled lie of a laugh, at least it's at least it's something, you know what I mean? I think yeah. that's in horror too. The, the Tom Cruise laugh where it doesn't reach the eyes. This is so oh, that is scary. That is yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Oh, look, I, and do you know what? I have such a complicated relationship with Tom Cruise. I inherently am, like, you know, frustrated and confused and sometimes repelled yeah, by yeah. But then I am Magnolia. massive. Magnolia is Magnolia. Spectacular eyes wide shut. I think is a is an incredible performance. I think I think he's great in um, Mission Impossible. You know, oh, yeah, yes. looks, yeah. you know what I mean. Like he's. I just kind of wish 
he the, the fake smile would kind of dial down a notch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so many subjects today. We have touched on so many things. Yeah, it's, it's so many things. <laughs> Including Naomi Watts' breasts. Oh, bless. Uh, um, so it, wrapping it up, so, so what sort of inspired you recently? What sort of stuff have you watched that's inspired mm. you recently? Well, it's been funny. I haven't been watching... Uh, like, I, I keep on thinking to myself that I'm, I'm relatively uh, un, um, unaffected by the, the current pandemic, but I'm obviously not. I'm struggling to watch horror at the moment, uh, new horror. I'm, I'm defaulting back to stuff that I've always loved. Um, and, uh, but I, I like, I'm desperate to watch relic and I'm just trying to build myself up until I'm ready for it. Yeah. What are some of the, uh, genre stuff that has really excited me over the last few years? Look, I did love midsummer. I, I really, so really did. Good. It's we, so good. I heard you arguing with Paul Tremblay and Paul Tremblay is wrong. He's, He's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah. I, I watched that movie literally a week after getting dumped by that terrible ex, and I cannot yep. express how cathartic that movie was. It was it was a joyous, wonderful uh, Alice in Wonderland thing for me. Yeah. You know, and all the things that people criticised it for in terms of its predictable nature and things like that, A, I don't agree with because I think it's it's a film about fate and about choosing to accept your fate or not. It, Are you going the to movie continue? It tells you what's happening in the open, the, the, the big mural at the it front tells of the movie you is the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. Absolutely. The other day I had a really awful day and work was, and, and all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, we're coming into a second wave. Things are looking really bad. I'm like, fuck, I feel like shit. I'm going to put on Midsummer, And I felt so good afterwards. <laughs> I really did. Um, look, yeah, so I loved that. Um, I really loved, um, oh gosh, what am I th- tell me some of the stuff that you guys have liked and let's kind of see if some of that's driving with me. Oof, I, I'm mm. I'm flipping to watching some old stuff. I mean, I, like I, The Good Fight just had its third season and that show is really good at helping me deal with the insanity of the world because they've started like that show. It's like a lawyer show, but they said it in our world. It's like Trump is a part of the world and it leans into the, it does these twin peaks, like absurdist moments. And they have sort of a gimmick over season three. Like season three had this moment where everyone will turn to camera and deliver a soliloquy, like this Shakespearean thing. And then, why not? <laughs> you know, dream sequences. They had a, a, the first episode of the new season had a wonderful, what if Hillary won episode, but it's not all hugs and puppies as, as some people would like you to think it is. Uh, I use that show to sort of get me through a lot. And then, I don't know what's oh uh, uh what was the big uh, we watched Heat recently. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, for God. this, for this, yeah. It's first Michael, Michael, Michael Mann. Mann. Yeah, oh, yeah, Michael Mann. Yeah. Uh, look, Michael Mann is the man. Like he, he's when he's on fire, he is unstoppable. I yeah. think Manhunter is really good. Manhunter is so good. <laughs> I, I love Manhunter so much. I'm like a big <laughs> Thomas Harris, like Silence of the Lambs, all that mythos. Guy. I I am massively into Thomas Harris, and, and you want to talk about influential authors on me? Thomas Harris is a massive influence on my stuff. Yeah. Down to not only just in terms of I remember the excitement around waiting for Hannibal to be released. I was yeah. I was um, I, I can't describe the, the the pleasure that I got from reading that book. I remember that it came out. I got I was getting it for Christmas. And it had been released in like November and I knew that my mother had a copy of it for Christmas for me and it was in the house somewhere. And I was just kind of just in that pre-Hannibal Thomas Harris days for weeks and weeks on end. And my mum said to me, um, I've never told anyone this. My mum's like, Aaron, I'm going to give it to you now. You can read it and then give it back to me and we'll wrap it up and then be surprised (laughs) on Christmas morning. And that's... 
that was a fundamental kind of eye-opening read for me because it, it reminded me that, do you know what, what I want from your stories, it doesn't matter. The book and the people who create this stuff is boss. And um, I was, I was not expecting that book to go in the directions that it went in. Um, yeah. I was not expecting the ending and I kind of repelled against it at first, but I've read that book like five or six times. And yeah. Thomas Harris does something that's fascinating, which is the equivalent to what Jonathan Demme does in the move in, in the silence of the lens with his point of view shots where he's the characters looking directly into the camera, which is such a Demme thing. He's been doing it for years. Amazing. Um, uh, Is that Thomas Harris writes in the third person past tense, right? But when in those little moments when uh, Hannibal's really close to characters, he switches it to present tense and you don't even realize it, but it'll only be for a couple of sentences. Oh, nice. And it's like yep. the book just jumps out at you like that. And and yep. I've done that multiple times in my books. And people don't kind of pick up on it, which is good. I don't want you to, but it's like a trill. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, oh. yeah, look, other stuff is, look, I did watch the, the Terror. I did recently revisit The Terror, which is currently streaming on uh, our Amazon Prime. Um, I had which that on my a- list. I'm I, interested to check it out. Look, I, I read I read the book, The Terror, which is by Dan yeah. Simmons, who I have a complicated relationship with, as do many people anyway. But The Terror was, um, I thought, profound, profoundly moving. Mm. Um, I'd read the book and was blown away by it. Oh, the but, TV show. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The t- yeah, yeah sorry. It's the TV show, the AMC TV show. Um, amazing cast. Um, oh, gosh. What's her name? Australian lady. Um, from Looking for Ella Brandy. The mum from Looking for Ella Brandy. What's her name? Oh god, Greta. is I have no idea. I'm on Greta. IMDb. Uh, anyway, sh- I can't remember. Going on, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it is yeah. incredible because it is this metaphorical, uh, mind-expanding, uh, cosmic horror set within a true story with a monster as well. Mm, An incredible, god. full-blown monster mash movie that penetrates you on a, on a physical ripped open entrails, deeply like mind expanding level. It ticks all uh, the boxes. It ticks all yeah. the boxes, but it's yeah. beautiful. It's, you know, it's got, and it's got some of that Ridley Scott money, you know, in it. So it looks a million <laughs> bucks. Um, Ridley, it's really Scott's the, Ridley Scott produced uh, The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Like he's a producer on that. It's the weirdest credit to come up because he's always like the executive producer at the end of it. Like yeah. he gets the, the flash credit. They do one episode where they ended on a spit take and then they just cut to black and it's executive producer Ridley Scott <laughs> and it's the funniest thing in the world. That's actually quite amazing. Look, hey, I love Ridley. I'm, I'm t- Again, he adapted Hannibal and I thought he did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> My partner, he, he loves those books, but he hates that movie. <laughs> See, I I just think it's so over the top. I actually think it's incredibly gay. I look at it and I'm like, it's like if Liberace directed Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> it's so over the top and extravagant. Whoa. Yeah, well, speaking of queer horror, like the show Hannibal by Brian Fuller, fucking amazing. Sexy. So, it is sexy. a sexy, sexy show. And uh, and again, that is see, that is a show to celebrate because that is extremely mm. heteronormative fiction. Um there, you know, in, in many, many different ways, uh, sometimes in detrimental ways, reviewed through an incredibly identifiably open queer voice. And it what I love about that is that yeah, he draws out every bit of subtext that was there in those books, right? And then he kind of lets the audience know that we're actually going to go with this and it's going to be a thing. And it's this continuous wrestle between 
it really is it's it's moonlighting you know what i mean it's the x-files it's like are they gonna yeah. fuck or not you know what i mean <laughs> and, and i won't give anything away but have you both watched it all the way through i have not seen it yeah any i have it on me. dvd i saw the first two episodes well. oh sorry I was, I was, uh, i've seen the first two episodes and i've been meaning to watch it and it's just one of those ones that i haven't gone around to yet you have to kind of push through the first maybe six episodes when it kind of mm. gets oh, through love- it's pre- it's yeah it's got it's a great procedural and then it becomes like you're like and whoa becomes- and this Oh, and the second season is perfect television. Oh, and then God. the third season starts off a little slow and weird, but then it hits a home run and it ends on a note that genuinely, genuinely startled me. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good stuff. And it's um, gay as Christmas. It's so gay. Speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, I speaking about all this different horror stuff like i'm a massive fan of creature features do you have like a creature like feature or something a monster you would like to write like a dream monster oh i actually have just written a really gay coming of age novella which has a monster in it um and i'm really but it is impossible to describe because it is just an accumulation of little traumas that kind of that kind of uh, is personified into this kind of almost like it's 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 almost like the blob, only yes. only it's only it's a little bit it's a bit more claws um, because it's it's <laughs> sucking up these things that this uh, this young kid um, kind of is 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 leaving out and opening his wounds and this creature's just kind of sponging it all up and then gradually consuming all the things that he thinks are tethering him down to this world and it's kind of like a cosmic horror very much for the the vhs kind of you know video store crowd it's set in the early 90s it's about mixtapes and and about all those things where we like this is me being myself but it's actually me sat into the world I'm actually struggling with my sexuality. Can somebody please help me? But what was listening is this sponge that turns into all those anxieties and it's coming for him and his family. Then it's, it's kind of great. So I'm really looking forward to getting that out at some point. But if I had it, like, if I, do you know what? I really like animal attack movies. I like yeah, animal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, have you seen, know, um, oh, sorry. So good. Go yeah, for it. Keep, keep, uh, have you seen, um, Backcountry on Netflix? It's like a Canadian. Oh yes. Yeah. You've seen it? Yeah. Yeah. Whole, I love bear attacks. I, I, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I, I wrote a novella called And the Night Growled Back, which is essentially a, it's, it's, it's a bear attack book. I really like, um, I love that type of stuff. And, and A Place for Sinners is a, it is a creature feature, so to speak, I guess. Monkeys? It's, it, they're killing monkeys. They're, they're, it's, yeah. a, it's about killing monkeys. And I went to Thailand and I went on one of those cheesy, like, you know, tours where I was like, yeah, I'm a tourist. I'm great. But, and I got to this island where, you know, you can feed the monkeys and you get there and just this tide of feral, diseased monkeys come out of the trees and they've all got like snaggle teeth and they come up to you and they're like, uh, give me, give me sugary drinks, please feed me. And they can't feed for themselves anymore. They can't, they are completely reliant on the tourist that comes in. We've turned these beautiful creatures into these, disgusting riddled deceased sugar high devils Uh, and if you don't mm. hand over a bottle of coke and watch these little monkeys twist the lid off and drink this coke or or a can of fanta or you give them a a donut they fucking bite you i watched this little kid i remember this mum saying come on little come on Susie, get a photo with the monkey give the monkey the donut (laughs) and the kids like the kids got seeing things that this mum is not and the kids like i'm kind of afraid of this i'm I'm a bit hesitant this and she in that moment of hesitation that monkey came up and bit her on the side of the face and i was like i'm gonna write about this because uh (laughs) it, it, it was a perfect metaphor for how i was feeling at the time which is the way that tourism changes the place um and that's kind of like what we're talking about you know where does a story come 
come from. Uh, that was the central awkwardness and kind of uh, hard soul searching that I needed to look in terms of what I consume. And that became uh, the, what that book is about, which is a very serious book, but it's also about killer monkeys. So I love anything yeah. with killer monkeys have, in it. Shakma, I love Shakma. I love monkey shines, love monkey shines. <laughs> love have them. you seen that movie? I've only seen the trailer because I didn't know it existed. It's, I think it's a movie with like Tippi Hendren. Hedron and and it's just the lion attacks. Like they got they filmed with real lions and they're just mauling yeah. the actors for real. Oh yeah, yeah. They had like a bunch of different like beat what's cuts, it called? Didn't they? It's, it's, wild called, it's yeah. called Raw. It's Raw. called Raw. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, so that I, I love my favorite part of that. The the best advertisement I've ever seen for Raw is a picture of Yann de Bont, uh, who went on to, as we know, to, to be a, a very successful Speed, which I love, and you know, oh. I love I love Twister too, don't, don't tell anyone yes, I, yes, yeah. I love yeah. Twister, um, Twister. I, Oh yeah, and he's such yeah. an amazing uh, director of cinematography like, you know, when I think back I, he did Clan of the Cave People, which looks great. Cujo, amazing cinematography in that. Um, nice. But he And he, um, yeah, he shot Raw, right? He got bitten, like scalped by, yeah. by he had like 80 stitches through his head. So, yeah, Raw, the movie that, um, yeah, Yandabon got scalped and Melanie Griffith, she got massively mauled, like, uh, on her face and had to undergo massive reconstruction surgery. It's not a horror film. It's kind of like a, like a kind of a comedic romp um, that gives you insane anxiety because you're just watching these actors... <laughs> Being... The trailer alone <laughs> just gave me like yeah. the heat, like hives. I got hives watching the trailer, just being like, I don't know that I could sit through an hour and a half of this. Oh, you have to! It's so great. Yeah, I do it with not, a group. <laughs> do it with, I, I watched it with three people, and we just sat there ch- chuckling all the way through it. There is a <laughs> there is a uh, a moment in, involving a, and it's not just lions. We get insane. There is a sequence with an elephant where I'm like. I'm fairly certain Tippy Hedrick is dead. You know, like, and you know where you see people talking about it on an insurance level, like actors are like, oh, we won't let you do that stunt. I'm like, she is in a barrel, okay? She's like, <laughs> she's like 60 years old, all right, in a barrel, and that barrel is being mauled by an elephant. And oh at one God. point, it flicks <laughs> into the air, and Tippy Hedrick just goes flying. <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> oh my god Aaron Dries, it. it has been an absolute pleasure having you on thanks dude thank you so much happy happy to be here and just talk crap uh, i'm happy to <laughs> yeah. come back anytime and we got to talk thank about you. tippy hedron naomi watts <laughs> so many different <laughs> things so many things uh, so, uh, so uh if people want to find you where can they go Look, Twitter is where I'm most interactive these days. So just at Aaron Dries uh, or go to www.aarondries.com. And, uh, Correct. And, and there's links to all to your talk. books on that website. Um, Thank you. You can so buy, much. I've bought, you can buy even from like Book Depository or Amazon there. Uh, you do, all your short, your novellas and some of your short story stuff, I found them on Amazon. I'm like, oh, do I have to get a Kindle now? Because some of them aren't like the, uh, the, and the Nightgrowl back is on Kindle only at the moment, at least on Australia. And so I'm like, Hmm, do I do I fork out for because I've held off on a Kindle just because I love the paperback. I love the I love a yeah. physical book. Uh, so. Look, hopefully, hopefully gets a paper release one day. But at the moment, that one is just an e only. But uh, yeah, I'm working on a collection of short stories at the mm. moment, so that'll be hopefully uh, we'll see, we'll see. But that'll definitely be Exciting. something holding your hands. Yeah. Wonderful. So we'll put all those links in the show notes as well, uh, and you can find uh, our show on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Picture Rangers. 
Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm quite online, as we said before, <laughs> at Shane M underscore Anderson. And you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Joshua Grigg underscore. Thank you very much once again, Aaron, for coming on board. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you again next time. Bye. <laughs>